Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. This is Brad Townsend, a Dallas Mavericks beat writer for the Dallas Morning News, and you're listening to the Mavs Fans for Life podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Drive it. Here it in is. the corner, Luca. Oh, oh, how did he do it? How did he do it? That is Luca Magic. No, 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 no. I take my chances. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up three pointers. Welcome back for another bonus episode of the Mavs Fans for Life podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Nate Sanchez. Unfortunately, my co-host, Michael Terrazas, got a little tied up at work. He got caught up in that Austin traffic and wasn't able to make it back in time but no no sweat we have our lead writer isaiah on the call and we have the site owner the og lando lt himself and the reason we're recording a bonus episode is we have a very special guest on today joining us is mavs beat writer with the dallas morning news brad townsend how are you doing brad i'm doing great now are you sure this is considered a bonus i'm not sure your (laughs) listeners are going to look at it that way yeah, well, th- th- this is just like icing on the cake. We're, 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 okay. We're, we're, we're stacking a bunch of we're stacking a bunch of great guests, and okay. uh, in, in I believe you said to us on Twitter uh, when you saw our list of guests, you thought you said you weren't needed, and I was like, no. I think I replied to you and I said, no, Brad's our max contract guest. I mean, well, that's that's way too gracious. I mean, <laughs> I just thought that uh, you know I wouldn't be able to follow in the footsteps of some of those other guests, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Brad, we've been keeping the powder dry for you. <laughs> like the well, hopefully, uh, hopefully my results will be better than the Mavs in that case. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I guess to start off, uh, so obviously I myself am a, a sports journalism major at University of Missouri, and uh, Isaiah school. was a journalism graduate at from a UTA, and so I guess – Isaiah, if you wanted to kick off with with, with your question for Brad about just gener- his general background and advice, yeah, and, um, of course. Uh, we all, me and me and Nate, are journalism majors, and I just want to ask Brad a question. And my question is, uh, what advice would you give to a young journalist who who wants to cover a team and what stands out the most? Like, what do they look for? Yeah, and I, and I think uh, this answer would probably uh, apply to whether you want to be a, a writer or a broadcaster. I would say read as much as possible. I always tell 
aspiring journalists read, uh, and in the case of radio uh, journalists, listen. Uh, it's not about it's not about stealing from others. It's about uh, seeing what's out there, uh, hearing what's out there, and uh, and kind of developing your own voice, whether that's in the written word or the broadcast word. And, uh, you know, things you like and things you don't like, and that will help you kind of channel your, your energies uh, and your focus into creating your own voice. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, as far as my case, I grew up loving sports. And so it was just natural for me. I played high school basketball. Uh, my grandfather was a sports writer, believe it or not. Uh, he covered the outdoor, outdoor like hunting and fishing, but he was in newspapers. And so it was kind of in my blood, but I had a natural curiosity about what was going on behind the scenes in sports. Again, having played high school basketball myself. And then it's just a general uh, inquisitive nature about people, what makes people tick. And that's, uh, that's in all walks of life, sports and otherwise. Yeah, that, that, that is like you do have to in this industry, you do have to kind of have that inquisitive nature about yourself is try and find out more about people. Because I mean, that's, that's something I'm learning pretty quickly is how big of a part that is of this field. Yeah. Um, so, so, Brad, um, just just out of curiosity, what position did you play in, <laughs> in basketball? Were you a scoring guard? Were you a glue guy? Were you a uh, the big man. Uh, no, I was, <laughs> a, I, was a fi- I was a five foot eight point guard. So I uh, uh, didn't shoot a lot uh, because my coach pretty much uh, forbid me from shooting a lot. Uh, <laughs> mm. But I will say, I guess my claim to fame, uh, uh, my senior year, uh, we were playing the, uh, we were playing the, the eventual district champions. And uh, there was uh, there was like two seconds left on the clock and they were shooting a free throw. They missed. I'm uh, stationed near midcourt and, you know, they, they, I guess there was five seconds left, but uh, anyway, uh, I'm throwing the ball and I make a half court shot to send the game into overtime. Oh, um, snap. But okay. here's, here's the kicker. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a story of life, right? Uh, mm. Back then uh, the three point shot didn't exist in high schools. So Oh man, that only tied the score and we lost in overtime and uh, our team finished four and 24. So let that be a lesson in life. It, you know, it's just uh, an exciting moment for you is not necessarily, you know, uh, a great deal in the grand scheme of things. I remember going out and buying the, I lived, I was from San Antonio and I remember going out and buying the, the two papers the next day, there was two papers in San Antonio at the time. And, I was just sure that the highlight of that game, they were going to put, you know, Brad Townsend made a half court <laughs> shot, wasn't mentioned anywhere in there. So again, oh, uh, kind no. of a humbling, humbling dose of uh, uh, a humble pie. A big deal to me was really didn't even uh, create a blip anywhere on the sports page. How, uh, so basically it was like a wrong place, wrong time. Had you have been, <laughs> Had the three-point line have, have been around right. around then, you might have been on the front page. Well, who knows? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I you know, and then we would have been five and twenty-three. I mean, uh, oh. the future of mankind would have been changed. I think uh, all kinds of dominoes would have fallen. And was that the very own San Antonio light 
that it you was. weren't in that you eventually worked for? Uh, it is actually, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. crazy enough, yeah. So I, I guess to to jump into some of the things we want to talk to you about, um, obviously with the pandemic going on, you know, it's it's been a really weird, roughly twelve months in the NBA because yeah. a little over a year ago, the like the initial shutdown happened, and uh, I, I guess just from a broad scope of things, you're. You you, ha- you proudly boast it in your uh, in your bio on Twitter that you're an NBA bubble alum, <laughs> right? Um, and so you've gotten to see how COVID has played out in the in the NBA. Can, can you just talk shed a little bit of light on how weird of a time it's been in the NBA? Because I'm I'm sure you were there the night uh, that last night against the Nuggets when the NBA shut down and the Mavericks were the last game to play out. Um, well, I, I actually yeah, actually I wasn't. Oh, yeah, okay. actually. Actually, uh, so uh, I was happened to be off that day. I uh, the previous day, the Mavs had played the Spurs in San Antonio, and uh, in normal times, uh, the morning news uh, actually travels on the Mavs plane. Oh, and so um, you know, I, I travel with them to San Antonio. Uh, it was just a one-game trip, and uh, but that was the night where things were starting to get kind of weird, right? The, the NBA had just started new protocols where um, all interviews were going to take place like on a, a, they would set up a stage. So instead of just your traditional pregame interview where you would just stand outside the locker room and talk to Rick Carlisle and then go over there and talk to uh, uh, Greg Popovich, a room was set up where they we had to be at least 10 feet away, you know, and put our tape recorders up. And so that was kind of the beginning of how things were changing. But as I flew back, you know, the Mavs won that night, if I recall, Uh, flew back with the team. And typically it's, uh, this is the way it is when you land at the private airport where the Mavs land, it's really dark. It's, uh, it's, it's not, you know, some trips, it's really late when you get back two, three in the morning, this was a, a quick trip. But, you know, you're standing there and it's all dark in the car in my tarmac and you're waiting for the luggage to come down. And it's just me and some of the other, you know, shorter people on the trip. And you're standing amongst all these, you know, Bobons and, you know, Kristaps and all these other guys. And it's just like really quiet. And I just will always remember that because I think all of us sensed that things were about to be different. But I don't think that we had certainly we did not have full grasp of how dramatically our lives and the NBA was about to change. And then so the following evening, um, I I, hap- I was home. I was off. It was a scheduled day off. And then all heck started breaking loose. And so I dove in to help us. We Callie uh, Kaplan was there covering the game for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I dove in and, and helped as much as possible. But even then, you know, they declare, you know, after it was found out that uh, everything that was going on in Oklahoma City, Gobert had tested positive. They declared a hiatus. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be a four-month hiatus. You know, we really didn't know, but for that to happen. And I'll try not to bore you with the details, but during that four months, I actually got loaned out to the news department and I did a couple of uh, news projects, you know, uh, real life stories on, you know, one of them was about how people grieve in the time of Corona. You have a loved one die 
and you can't properly grieve. And, uh, you know, I spent time talking to this wonderful family who was kind enough to share their story of their, their papa died and how they could not console one another, couldn't hug, couldn't have a memorial service, and just about how the process, the necessary grieving process had changed for everybody. Uh, and also spent some time in West Dallas and how difficult it was for folks there. But then ultimately, yeah, I was very privileged to, when, the, when the season restarted in the bubble. I was one of about uh, 12 to 15 reporters who got inside the bubble access and of course, that was a trip in itself. I mean, I was I was there for 50 days, got tested every day, uh, you know, and then you really just you felt like you were, you, you know, you wouldn't just felt like you were you were you were part of the ecosystem inside the quote unquote bubble where you're getting tested every day. You know, everybody in the bubbles tested tested every day. I'm wearing my uh, anywhere I went on the property, I had to wear a badge with a tracer, and so. If you stood within a few feet of anybody else who was wearing a tracer during interviews or anybody or anything else, your tracer would start beeping, you know. And then also the NBA knew where you were at all times in case there was an outbreak and they could trace who was who had, you know, was in contact with the virus. And uh, it was a crazy time to be sure. But I think that was a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, and and I honestly that's that's carried over a lot into into this season. Maybe it's it's obviously not a bubble, but right. I, you kind of touched on earlier when you said you know at the time when you're at the airport and everyone was kind of quiet, you could kind of sense things were about to be different, but no one realized it was going to be a four month hiatus or four month thing. Let alone here we are over a year later. Exactly, and we're yeah. still and we're still dealing with the pandemic, and so I, I guess. To carry in, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but how, and especially this season with the compressed schedule and everything's virtual, and, and obviously you've been able to go to the games, but like a lot, a lot of the pressers are, or all the pressers are on Zoom. Um, how much different or difficult has this been for you this season as far as like covering the, the team this year? Uh, yeah, dramatically. Well, for one thing, um, the, the primary thing is this is the first time in the Mavericks 41 season history that the Dallas Morning News is not covered, is not covering road games in person. Mm. Okay. Wow. We're riding from every game. Uh, but when the Mavs are on the road, I'm doing the, I'm, I'm watching on TV. Uh, I'm, we're doing the pregame interviews via Zoom. Same thing with the postgame interviews. When the season started and the pandemic was still raging as it, you know, it's not so much today, but it's still out there. Uh, it's just not feasible to travel yeah. uh, because in, in that case, I would be doing it commercially because I'm not getting tested every day like the players and the coaches. You know, the, the, the option to travel with the team that was gone. And so uh, and, and when I do, uh, the hope is that I will. Uh, start traveling um, near the end of the regular season. And certainly for the playoffs, I'll have to be traveling uh, commercially. And so I've already had one, I've already had both. I've had my second vaccine shot about a week ago. And so by mid February, uh, mid, um, excuse me, uh, mid April, I'll, you know, supposedly be, you know, fully about as uh, vaccinated as you can, I guess. And so, 
it's changed dramatically. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, I did, I counted up, it had been 3,100 and something regular season and playoff games that we had attended as the Dallas Morning News in person without fail. So it was historic uh, to not be at that opening game on the road uh, in Phoenix. Now, what would you, would you say that you, I assume you prefer, it saves you some travel and some long nights, but yeah. I assume as a beat writer, you prefer being able to be oh. in the thick of things and getting them. Yeah, it's much, I, exactly. That's, that's, the, that's the nature of being a beat writer is to uh, have eyes and ears on the ground in person. Uh, and, you know, it's not necessarily you have to travel with the team. Uh, not all newspapers do that. In fact, probably most don't. Back when I first covered the, my first run of covering the Mavs in the 90s, um, they traveled commercially. And so at the beginning of the season, I would get a man, I would get like their list of every flight they were going to be on. And I would be on those flights too, just so that I could be as close as possible to the players. Sometimes I'd be interviewing them in the airport, you know, sleeping oh, wow. early morning, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's the only, that's the true way of being a beat writer and really being the eyes and ears and kind of the conduit uh, for fans, for readers, uh, people who are reading your stuff. So Brad, you said, you said traveling on the road. Um, once y'all are able to travel on the road, um, explain, explain the dynamic um, between you and Kylie, because both of y'all do great for the Dallas Morning News on the maps, but on the road, do y'all split games or just... Do y'all work that out amongst yourselves? Uh, well, last year was her first year. Yeah, last year was her first year of helping. I would say that I did, uh, you know, until the hiatus, I would say that I probably did. Um, I did all the road trips except for a couple. Okay. So um, uh, as far as road games, I probably did about uh, 80, 85% of them. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure how we would have split it up this year. Might have been something similar, or maybe she would have taken more like 30, 35%. Hard to say. Um, I guess those are things we're going to have to address uh, eventually <laughs> and gladly, you know, yeah. when things normalize. So I, I guess to, to jump into the maps uh, in, in this season, that, that's, a, that's a good segue. And so the Mavericks are, have turned things around. Uh, they've been the date that keeps being thrown out is since February 6th. Their, what their record is since then. They have like the, I think the third or fourth best record in the NBA since that date. Yeah. Um, and they've completely turned things around on both ends of the floor. Um, I, I, obviously a lot of it has to do with, you know, just the fact that they had their team because everyone's like, why are the Mavs struggling so much? Yeah. You know, how are they going to turn things around? Well, I, a lot of it has to do with, they have their guys and, you know, the COVID stretches the season was, was so so difficult for them because I mean you lose so many key players it's hard to function as a team and it showed in the standings um besides you know getting their guys back what would you attribute the turnaround of the season to be so far because I mean they they now find themselves very firmly in the thick of the race for the four or five or six seed yeah well and just retracing a little bit uh for what to what you said you know covering this season around that February 6th mark and the weeks, you know, the days before that in years past, if I'd been covering a Mavericks team and they had uh, 
you know, had that kind of a swoon, uh, regardless of reason, I, I probably would have been, I probably would have taken a more critical look at what was going on. I mean, there were a couple of games in there, you know, the, the two games in Utah in particular where, I mean, you know, blatantly, you just look like they gave up. I mean, they had give up in them, yeah. okay? Well, but then you, you take a step back. None of, I haven't had COVID. I don't know if you guys have had COVID. I don't know what it's like to, mm. to have COVID. Uh, I've certainly read a lot. I certainly know that it affects some people a lot worse than others. And so, uh, you know, as a beat writer, I, I'm having to factor in. I don't know what it's like for Dorian Finney-Smith and Kleba and Powell. Uh, you know, Bronson was out, but it was due to contact tracing. Um, I don't know how bad those guys got it. And then so you don't know about their lung capacity coming back. So I was cutting them a lot of slack, okay? Because I really, I thought that the offseason moves they made were, were, were shrewd. They definitely needed shoring up defensively. Uh, and I think now that's showing on the core. I think um, the problem that's still happening is that you're, you're not getting these the, the same guys collectively on the floor. The regular starting lineup is 15 and four. That's a great sign. That that's good news, right? The bad news is you, you're still not getting them together consistently. You don't know how good that group can really be. And then there's always that kind of that outline concern of, okay, when the playoffs approach and you still got back-to-back -back games between now and then, you know, are those guys going to be able to, to be on the floor together? Are you, you know, it's probably not that dissimilar from what's going on in Brooklyn. You see how good Brooklyn, how great Brooklyn could be, but you've seen so few bits and pieces of having those three guys on the court together that there's just kind of this big question mark as the playoffs approach. So, yeah, and, and you, you hit the nail right on the head of, you know, you don't know what it's like for these athletes. And, I mean, Dorian kind of touched on it. And when they interviewed him after the Jazz game on, on Monday, they said uh, the, the guys on, the, on TV were talking to him, and he, and he expressed, he was like, the first time we played Utah, I, I, I'm pretty sure he, that was the interview that he cussed in. And he said, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> I couldn't even breathe in, in Utah when I was playing the first time. Right. That might have been in his post-game interview. Either way, I remember he said something to that effect. And, you know, I never, I, to my knowledge, I've never, I never got COVID. I'm thankfully I'm vaccinated and I'm good now. But, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to deal with that, let alone get ready and compete in an NBA environment. You know, that, that's, exactly. that's, you know, peak, peak athletics in the, in the entire world. You have no idea how it is, let alone with that factored in. Yep. So yeah, you're right. You did have to cut them a little bit of slack. Yeah, and the other thing that was going on, and I was acutely aware of this, I wrote a couple of stories about it, is life on the road wasn't anywhere near what it's normally like. I mean, these guys were going city to city, getting, and instead of getting on one bus as a team, they were getting on two, three buses spread out, okay? Then they were getting to the hotel, then they were going straight to their rooms. And the opportunity to even like have a normal practice, just things that you just take for granted. You know, the first thing they'd have to do, get up, they couldn't go out to dinner together. So you talk about building that, that chemistry, some new guys, 
you know, that's a lot of how teams do that. Uh, when there's new acquisitions, they get to know each other by going out with each other on the road, going to a movie, going to eat. These guys couldn't even do that. So you had to kind of cut, cut them some slack from that standpoint too. So it's just been a strain. It's nothing about this has been normal. And so the good news for the Mavs is that, you know, they seem to be healthy. I have to assume, I assume that they've either about to be vaccinated or they have been vaccinated. You know, that's, you know, you can do that in Texas. I don't know why they wouldn't have at this point. Okay. And so um, they have the opportunity to kind of pull it together and see how good they can be now. And really, and maybe it would, things were so bad in January and early February that that kind of steeled this team. You know, they really weathered the storm and came through what hopefully would be the worst of it. And maybe it makes them that much stronger as a team. Yeah. So Brad, you said, oh, I'm sorry, Nate. So, so Brad, you said chemistry, um, obviously having the starting group of guys together is obviously building this team as we move forward, um, moving towards playoffs. Were you surprised when um, Christoph's Przingis, um, I know your favorite topic, <laughs> were you surprised that he played in that back-to-back um, with Houston and Milwaukee? Is, is that a trend that you see that's going to start happening as the season progresses and we move away from the injuries? It was a little surprising that it happened to me that it happened as soon as it did. But then when you, you step back and you looked at it, uh, it made sense because uh, he had not played. They played in New York and Washington a few days before that, but that he didn't play in the Washington game. Yeah. So he'd only played in like two games over the previous five days. And then, you know, they played last, they played Thursday night. They weren't going to play again until Sunday. So that part made sense when you thought about it. I don't think that that necessarily means he's going to play the, I guess there's six remaining uh, back-to-backs. But yeah. I think and one on well. Sunday and Monday as well. Right. I think it bodes well that he'll play in some of them. And then to put up the big numbers that he put up in the second game of the back-to-back uh, against Milwaukee, that bodes really well. And, and, you know, uh, I think a lot of it uh, traces. And even in February, uh, Rick Carla was telling us that that was the goal, that, that they were trying to get uh, Orzingis' body to the point, and they were optimistic that they could to a point where he could play back-to-backs. That's, that's been the goal all along. Um, I was just a little surprised to see it happen as early as it did. Um, but it definitely bodes well. And, and with, with regard to KP, uh, so last night, and I was listening a little bit to, uh, to the, the guys on, on the ticket, they were talking about it and there's a little bit of chatter about it on Twitter. Um, and I don't I didn't really necessarily view it as a negative either. I just thought his response last night to your question was interesting. You asked Porzingis something. I don't remember the exact question you asked him, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something that the effect of building chemistry with, with Luca and, and as a team and how that's going and like something about his relationship with Luca, I think. And, and he kind of, you know, he, he, he just talked, he didn't, you, you teed it up for him to where like, where he could go in and say, Oh, I love Luca. Like, like we're best of friends. And he gave a very interesting answer last night. And he said, 
something along the lines of, of you know, you know, we're, we're just here to win. Uh, we care about winning. We're, I, trying, I like, to work, we're trying to work together. Yeah, yeah. we're trying to work together. And yeah. it, it, it was kind of a really weird answer where it wasn't necessarily a bad answer. Like, I didn't really have a problem with it. I just thought it, it kind of what he didn't say spoke louder than what he did say. Did right. you think people are overreacting read a little too much into that? And I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just found it, you know, he didn't exactly give a ringing endorsement of being best of friends with Luca. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't say people are overreacting. In fact, that's before we started this podcast. Uh, that's what I've spent the day working on. So hopefully in this next hour or so, you'll see the story that I wrote that sort of talks about this. Uh, what Porzingis's answer really meant or what's been leading to it. And, you know, you guys were asking me earlier about, you know, the difficulty of covering a team during COVID. Well, that's part of it. You know, when I'm, when I'm on the road and in normal home game, I'm sitting right by the court. So I can see, I can see small interactions, what's going on in huddles. I can see what's going on during warmups, who's talking to who, and uh, I would be able to have a much better finger on the pulse of what's really going on. But really, for the last few weeks uh, and a lot of the season, there's been this kind of persistent chatter. People tweet at me all the time. It's not a day go a game goes by. What's wrong with KP and you know Luca? Why aren't they getting along? And I think and I do think people are jumping to some pretty strong conclusions. They're acting like these guys don't get along at all. They don't interact at all. That's not, that's not the case. But I do think that there has been a difference in that dynamic this year that I did not see last year. Now, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize last year I was closer. Last year yeah. I was able to get a better read on things like that. This year, home games, I'm sitting further away. We're doing all our interviews in Zoom. Ordinarily, in non-pandemic times, there would be the opportunity. I would, could be a practice on the road, and I could have a walk-off with Luca or Porzingis and just ask them that, just person to person, you know. Yeah. And so, last this has been such a persistent thing uh, that last night I just finally decided that that was the time to ask to come out. And the our only way of asking is in a kind of a what's become a semi public forum we're on zoom calls all the reporters are on there who's covering the team there's not really the opportunity for the one-on-one interview and so I just decided you know I gotta ask this and so uh, I was uh, in I was I'll just go ahead and say I, I was not that surprised by his answer um just based on what I'm seeing. I don't think that there's a major problem between the two. I just, I just think that, you know, people got their hopes up that these guys are going to be best friends just because they're both from Europe. That's just, it just hasn't played out that way. And I think Porzingis has had some frustrations, uh, whether it's, you know, getting enough shots or when he's playing in the game, you know, and some of this, he's, he, you know, very matter of factly airs in interviews and I just think that the, we're seeing the process of a 22-year-old star and a 25-year-old guy who was an all-star and, you know, is very capable of becoming an all-star again. Uh, you know, they're, 
it's it's a feeling out process. And so some nights are going to be better than others. Uh, but no, they do not look like best friends on the court right now. Yeah. And yeah, it's obvious. I mean, not everyone's going to be like LeBron and D Wade where they're very vocal about how best of friends they are. And, and another thing about like the timing of you asking that question, I think the timing of it, of the night you chose to ask the question was a great night to choose to ask that because, you know, they're riding high. They just, I know without Giannis, but they just beat the box. Great game. I would say that's one of the, that's one of their best all around games of the season in terms of, yeah, and there was a moment, I should have said earlier, and there was a moment during the game where in the second quarter, uh, Donches was in the post and he and he fed pass out to Porzingis who made a three-pointer and they did, you know, like a knuckle tap yeah. going by and people were yeah, yeah. So, somewhat sarcastically, but they were tweeting at me, look, they actually, it's not the first time, but it was just kind of the reaction to that made me like, okay, I got to ask this question now yeah and, and the wow. fact that he gave that answer even on a great night like last night where things were kind of riding high you know not like you said it, it, you know that they're they're clearly and i don't think it's anything contentious but i mean yeah like well hopefully hopefully you guys uh i don't know when this podcast will air but hopefully you guys and uh, anybody listening will, will read what i wrote about it and uh that'll help put it in perspective yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned some Mavs fans kind of tweeting at you about the, the video, them like kind of like uh, like giving each other knuckles or whatever. And yeah, and uh, yeah, dapping it up. I'm they sure, like each other. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can accept <laughs> that. Uh, Mavs Twitter definitely doesn't overreact too often. No. Oh, no, no, never, never. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Something I never fathomed when I broke into sports writing was uh, Twitter. I mean, who, who would have thought it, it, you know, it's normal stuff for you guys. Right. Uh, but uh, definitely a change from when I, the first time I covered the Mavericks in the nineties, you know, you just, it was just a completely different, it was, it was still a, a grind. You're still, there's still stories happening, but by and large, you, you know, you wrote what you wrote and then you woke up the next day uh you know, wondering what was in the Star Telegram that day. If you beat the Star Telegram that day, you wouldn't find out till the next day. Yeah. Now it's all instantaneous. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but you know, that's a big change to going from that to having people tweet, you know, complimentary stuff to you, but also not so nice stuff to you. Well, yeah. speak, speaking of Twitter, um, Brad, you, you just mentioned, um, and congrats on the 30K. Oh, okay. huge. Um, big time huge. achievement. Right up, there with Dirk. right up there with Dirk in the 30K club. Absolutely. We need, we, need Absolutely the green, the we need the green sign of Brad in the crowd right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just, just like you said, uh, Twitter. So Mavs Twitter. Um, obviously, um, I can get guilty of this, too. Um, uh, we, we get high when things are good. We get very low. When, when things are bad, just, just, just share with the listeners on um, some of the observations you have and some of the interaction and conversations um, with the Mavs fans that you have um, regarding Mavs Twitter and the topics that um, associate with it. You know, uh, hopefully it seems this way. Maybe I don't always come across that way. I would say 80% of it, I actually enjoy it. Um, I think it's a, a very good way to uh, 
to really uh, be involved in a con in the in the conversation with fans. And I do think there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Mavs Twitter has helped me get a much better grasp of what the fan is thinking and what the fan wants to know. And frankly, what the fan wants me to ask, whether it be Luca or, you know, Rick Carlisle or whatever, in that regard, it's been very helpful. And, you know, let's face it, uh, the biggest thing for a newspaper reporter to have Twitter is to, that's the way I get out my story, my story links. Yeah. It's more eyeballs on what I'm writing. And I do notice that uh, probably most reporters, uh, most NBA reporters, they tend to just kind of use Twitter as they're going to send a link to their story. They're going to say what they want to say. Uh, and there's very little back and forth, with fan, almost no back to back with fans. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've just taken, I've chosen a different route. Maybe that's because I, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I got uh, thrust back on the Mavs beat. I'd been off the beat for a long time. I was uh, doing personality profiles, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, but I, I needed to get, I needed, I thought that the Dallas Morning News was missing from that conversation, um, that nightly conversation with fans. And so I thought it was important to become, to re-engage uh, in that sense. And it can be exasperating at times, uh, but for the most part, I found it to be very helpful. And I, uh, you know, I vividly remember uh, the last night in the bubble after, after the Mavs were eliminated, and uh, you know, I'd been like pouring my, my soul out. You know, I'd been working yeah. for fifty straight days, right? Mm -hmm. And I do remember, you know, after following the last story, you know, people tweeting at me, you know, thanks so much, and. Yeah, you know, I get emotional thinking about it. It was, uh, it meant <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Well, uh, that, that's honestly a fantastic segue into the last part of, you know, us getting to talk to you is, uh, you interacted with it last night and the night before. We put out a call to Mavs fans that follow the Mavs Fans for Life page to submit some questions. And okay. and, and we, we, uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of them because we did get a bunch. But okay. uh, we, we cho chose a few for you to, to go okay. through. And uh, there are some pretty good ones. And I, the, the first one comes from, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of him before. His name is Mark Followell. And he said, hmm. uh, who is your favorite TV announcer? <laughs> That was 
Uh, I'm guessing he planted that because he wanted to say <laughs> Mark Followell. Uh, I will say, you know, I'm not trying to pass it. I'm not trying to skirt it. I enjoy all three of those guys. I mean, I have mm-hmm. uh, Skin Wade is probably the most talented uh, broadcaster, you know, sports, non-sports that I've seen come through Dallas-Fort Worth in the last 30 years. I mean, this guy is sharp as hell. Uh, Mark Followell, I've known since going back to the, covering the team in the nineties, we used to be at the old, it was the old Carter gymnasium, uh, that Donald Carter built for his employees and the Mavericks, uh, practiced there. Uh, he would be, you know, he was just, he was, I shouldn't say just, but he was a young reporter working for the ticket and, you know, he'd be part of the small huddle. Mm -hmm you know, after practice talking to Jamal Mashburn or, uh, you know, Dick Mott or what have you. So we go way back. And then Derek Harper, uh, I mean, I covered him. So if you really want to feel old, it's uh, seeing Derek Harper, uh, who I really think is starting to, has really, uh, I think he was really good starting off as a broadcaster, but he's really flourishing now. And uh, those guys make a great team. Uh, That's a long-winded answer to your question. I got to say all three. Can you give us uh, your favorite uh, Mark Followell call? Like, is there like, I know there's that famous saying, Luca magic, you know, Luca. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say with that, but really here's the crazy thing. Until this year, I never have really heard his call because I've been oh, I'm wow. either at the arena for home games or I'm, you know, on the road. And so it would be just the sporadic game that I was taking off that I would hear it. But you know, you could put, you could put him on, he could, he could be anywhere in America. He could be New York. He could be LA. He could seamlessly drop in any of those situations and be the great voice for any of those uh, franchises. So uh, Dallas is very lucky to have him. And, you know, I'll look, Chuck Cooperstein is, is as good as it gets in the NBA radio world. There is no more knowledgeable person out there. And in fact, you know, one of the things I miss most about being on the road is that Chuck and I sit next together, next to each other on the mass plane. So, you know, he's just, you know, he's so knowledgeable and such a great guy that uh, I miss our interactions, just shooting the, shooting the bull about the NBA and the Mavs and uh, general life. Um, well, you, you did mention him, uh, uh, Jeff Skin Wade did also submit a question, which okay, which uh, we, we, we thought was also a pretty good question. Uh, okay. How you developed a bond with the Nowitzki family, and you know how how that, and obviously that's a pretty broad question, but uh, you know what what goes into building a bond like you have with uh, with the Nowitzki family? Because I mean, obviously one of the one of your best dirt stories you did was the the. Uh, Uncle Dirk, when uh, on the, on his the night of his retirement, like, yeah. how do you develop a bond like that with a player that's such a big personality? Uh, it takes time. It takes uh, building of trust. Um, I will say that uh, the relationship I had with Dirk, you know, it says a lot more about it says a lot about him because part of my time in covering Dirk. Uh, was a dark time for him. And, you know, I don't know if you guys were around, but uh, the whole thing with Crystal Taylor, yeah. you know, yeah. just is really just a 
it was a terrible story, honestly. It was this woman who injected herself into his life and really uh, took advantage of him. And But it was a story of interest, you know, because it involved a public person. And this was a, you know, she got into his life and uh, I ended up having to cover that story. Wow. And I even went to uh, Beaumont prison to, uh, to interview her. And so the fact that I wrote those stories and that Dirk, even after that, uh, still, you know, dealt with me on a, just a person to person basis. Uh, I think that says a hell of a lot about him. Uh, I hope it says something about me too. Uh, but it's mostly says a lot about him. And, you know, the, the thing with, uh, you know, the uncle Dirk, uh, and his, I had known for years that he would visit the, uh, the children's, uh, children's medical center in, in Dallas, uh, I guess it's called, uh, children's health now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always no, it was hush hush. You know, you knew this was happening, but you also knew that there were very strict instructions from Dirk, you know, no tweeting, no publicity, the only reason he had his friend down uh, and photographer Danny Bollinger with him was to take pictures for the families. And so I had, I had uh, politely asked a few times over the years, uh, you know, whether I could, you know, tag along or be, or write that story. And so after it took a few years, but he, he finally said, okay, but it was kind of under the, with the understanding that, uh, you know, that I would focus the story on the kids and the families and the difficulties and, and the doctors and the nurses and the miraculous work. And so, uh, you know, the plan was for me to only kind of go for an hour of it. And I ended up being there for the full four hours. Wow. And it was, uh, there were several points, there were several points when, you know, I had to go out in the hall and collect myself. Uh, because it was so difficult seeing some of these kids, you know, with cancer and, uh, you know, some of them had been in the hospital for a year. I mean, it was just quite emotional. And Dirk through the whole thing was very upbeat. You know, he never, he, he never showed any of that. You know, he was uncle Dirk and he was playing games with the kids and there was only, uh, it was at the very end of the night when he, walked out of the last kid's room and we were going down the elevator together that you, that you the heaviness came over him wow. and you could just tell that, you know, it was a burden, but that he didn't want those kids to know, but it was important for him to do that. Yeah. Speaking, was, speaking, and speaking of Dirk, can you, is, isn't this uh, today, the two year anniversary where Dirk played his last game at the Maryland Center? Yeah. Can you, can you describe, what was what it was like it was uh you know i had a pretty good feeling i had a pretty good indication that that was going to be his last home game and so we and even if i hadn't thought that as a newspaper we've got to prepare for that possibility so we that was the direction we were going we thought that 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 might be it you know we didn't know if he was going to announce anything but we had to be ready um but what I think caught everybody in that arena by surprise is, you know, having Charles Barkley and Scottie Pippen and uh, 
Larry Bird and uh, the Rain Man come out and uh, say a few words. That was to for Mark Cuban and the Mavs franchise to pull that off, to have those guys sequestered away to come out at that moment. Uh, I, I don't know of any player ceremony that's ever going to uh, top that one. I mean, that was uh, first class from top to bottom. And then just the sheer moment of it, 21 seasons, uh, you know, and I was honored that they, they asked me to help put together, you know, they put together the, the video where I uh, talked about my visit to, with Uncle Dirk. And so the, evo- the emotion, the, uh, the uh, ovation that Dirk got, and then he bent over and got emotional. I mean, I, you know, that hit me pretty hard too, you know. Um, it was quite a night, you know, something that I'll never forget, of course. And any, really anybody who was there in the arena and watched it on TV, it's uh, as it should be. I mean, the guy, the guy is the Mavericks, 21 seasons, brought, brought the NBA title here, uh, you know, fought through everything. It's, it's probably the all-time Dallas sports story. And yes, over the Cowboys. Absolutely. <laughs> and thinking of that, you mentioned the championship. Can you describe what it was like when, when on the path that Dirk did, you know, the teams that he beat, can you describe like, like um, how, what it meant to, for the city of Dallas and, you know, how hard that tough playoff one it was? Because not many people know, you know, he, he beat Kobe, he beat, you know, um, the big three in Miami. Yeah, and of course, yeah. he beat uh, uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden, mm-hmm. Russell Red. Can you describe what it was like when Dirk won the championship in Dallas? Well, as you know, there had been other very good Mavs teams that uh, either got knocked out in the first round or in the case of the 2005-2006 uh, team, you know, were ahead in the NBA Finals. And there were more likely Mavs teams to win a championship than that one. And then especially that year, uh, uh, Karan Butler got hurt in January. and you And they had been a very good team. I think they were – 20 games over 500 at the time. And you kind of thought that that probably crashed their chances. And so as they entered the playoffs, they, they had had an uptick in their play. They'd made a couple of moves. They brought in uh, Peja. Uh, and, uh, but you didn't see them going to the title. And so that made it all the more magical. And then in the first round, uh, they had the, uh, they were against, Portland, they had the meltdown where they blew a 23, 24-point uh, lead in the second half, and it was like, oh, same old Mavericks. And and when you look back, that was the big hurdle. That was kind of the, the gelling moment to me because Rick Carlisle took full responsibility after the game and very emphatically said, you know, we're going to come back from this. And sure enough, you know, not only did they win back at home, they went back to Portland and finished off the series there. And that showed that that team that showed that team that it could win playoff games on the road. And then also set the tone of the, the two comeback wins, uh, the first comeback win against the Lakers at the at the uh, Staples Center mm-hmm. to take game one. And then also to come back uh, at Oklahoma City and then, of course, to come back uh, in the finals you know, looking back that 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 Portland coming together moment uh, was really 
that was that was the kind of the tone setter of that whole playoff run. But it was magical, of course, and the, the unlikely part of it, the unlikely aspect of it, made it all the more magical for for Dallas. And then the near misses in the other years, and then the uh, uh, you know there may well be another championship in the Mavs' future. Hope you know maybe soon to be future with Luca and Porzingis. Uh, but it, nothing will top that uh, for just kind of the emotion of it and the the city just kind of getting behind that team. And I'm sorry I'm being so long-winded here. No, you're 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 giving us awesome, awesome answers. And uh, I, we we have a we have a couple more questions from okay. from listeners, and then we're gonna we're gonna let you go because we, we know. I mean, you. you you told us yourself, your, your wife is, was going to kill you if, if you didn't take her out to dinner on, on your night off that you finally get. So, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so but believe me, we, we get it. We understand. We want to sure. uh, let you get on with, with, your, with your Friday evening here. But uh, at Kirk Serious Face asked a question. He said, what would you consider to be the most newsworthy map? And it might be something you've already touched on, but what what is one story you've done on the Mavs that is you know so that sticks out the most? This like be it a moment that happened with the team. What's the most newsworthy thing that's happened that and it could be any of the things you you've already talked about today. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say just say from a personal standpoint, uh, the Dirk, uh, the Uncle Dirk story, uh, just because it had been such a secretive thing and such and it was such a personal moment that Dirk allowed. Uh, to be told the story to be told uh, and then the reaction to it I mean I it was unbelievable the number of emails that I got and um, just the general response from it uh, and then the championship I mean that's uh, especially the that the night of the game six you know I wish that I would have been could have been like the Jeff Skin Wades of the world and been able to go to club live and do all that right. kind of stuff. And, but, you know, I'm grind me and the six or so other reporters that the morning news sent to Miami, we're grinding away on deadline. Right. And so I'm writing the, the page, the page one, a story, this the story that goes on the very front of the paper. So there's kind of this added weight on me. Um, but, you know, as a sports writer, Hey, those are the things you live for. I mean, you're, you're coming the story that matters the most uh, to the readers of the newspaper uh, of the city that you live in. Oh, absolutely. And they're and, and you, you know, that, that's a big responsibility when you're throwing together the front page story on the for the morning after when the team, when the city's team has won a championship. You know, you're, you're right. There is a certain way to wait to that. And, you know, with. And that, that's, that's, you got, you got I, I still go in, I, I still go into houses uh, occasionally uh, or Rick Carlisle's office. It, there's a framed, framed, you know, copy yeah. of that front page. So oh, wow. of, it still lives on. That's awesome. And you know, that there's a, that there's a certain price you got to pay. If, if you want that responsibility, you're going to have to pass up a legendary night at club live. <laughs> Did you at least get a mini champagne after you wrote that no. story in the hotel room? <laughs> no, just, uh, just went back. Just a good night's sleep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and so I get the last question. I'll let you go. 
Um, this comes from uh, at Mr. Crow 41. Um, what makes this Mavs team different than others being, being around them? And again, you're not as much around this team as like you, you touched on that, but good, bad, or otherwise, what's one thing that sticks out to you about the 2021, 22 or 2020, 2021 Mavs that's different than other teams? Uh I think if I was able to be closer to them, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I would like this group. I mean, from what the, the kind of the glimpses that we get via Zoom. Um, and then, you know, and some of these guys were on the team last year. And so I got to see a lot of that stuff in the bubble. And so the thing that sticks out to me would be like, gee, these are guys that I wish I was getting to know a little bit better. And it's making me work all the harder to sort of bring as much inside perspective as I can, uh, especially with this weird season of, again, as I said earlier, you don't know what wins and losses truly mean. It's kind of hard to put a, a five-game losing streak in a pandemic with COVID players. It's not the same as a five-game losing streak in a non-COVID year. Yeah. So, yeah. Is, is there one in particular where you're like, I wish I wish I had that interaction, that one-on-one -on -one walking in the hallway. Just just have that um, interview with one of the members on the team. Yeah, uh, Richardson. I think Richardson yeah. would be a really good guy to get to know. And I've done a lot of these uh, stories over the years of of you know meeting the families. I remember uh, flying up to North Carolina and doing a story with Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. and his dad and going around with them. And uh, Josh is parents live right up the road in Oklahoma City. Dad is a fireman. Uh, mom, uh, longtime, uh, you know, military person, been in the military for 28 years. I mean, they seem like great people to get to know. And if you spent time with them, you would know a lot more about what makes Josh tick. And those are the stories I miss doing and look forward to most uh, getting back to doing again. Well, uh, yeah, that's all. And I, I was going to say, if I had to guess which player you're going to say, I think Josh Richardson was my guess, just because he does seem like an interesting guy. And he's kind of, you know, seems to be a little, more, little bit more reserved. But, uh, but uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on, Brad. Uh, sorry if we went a little bit long. This was a great conversation. Uh, you gave us fantastic insight. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and giving us some of your time. All right. Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
Today tastes like heading out the door and driving into town. It tastes like grabbing snacks and a Coke and singing as loud as you can. Today tastes like anything could happen. And it never tasted this good. Summer tastes better with Coca-Cola. Wherever you're going this week, don't forget to grab an ice-cold, refreshing Coca-Cola from 7-Eleven. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.